you go with me to John chapter 7? John 7 and verse 37 is where we begin this morning. Last week we noted here in our study in John 7 that there were more than a few of Jesus' listeners who were asking questions. They were asking, how does he intend to do these things he's talking about? We saw it in verse 35 when they said, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? In verse 36, what does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? And beginning in verse 37, Jesus gives an answer. Here we find Jesus teaching on the last day of the feast, and here's how all that Jesus promised would be fulfilled. Look at verses 37 through 39 as we begin there this morning. We'll We'll study through verse 52, but I want to start with these few verses here, 37 through 39, John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's verse 37, and verse 37 tells us that this is the last day of the feast, the the great day, the Feast of Booths extended actually for seven days, but there was also the day following the feast, which had traditionally become part of the feast. It wasn't officially part of the feast, but but it became another day of the feast, the eighth day. This is probably the day John means when he says the great day, since it was the very last day of the festival. Also, interesting to note that the last day, on the last day, being the last day, probably is very likely the largest crowds have gathered by now. And this is probably, of course... uh, the day that that John is talking about here, the great day, when there, when there are the largest crowds have gathered. In fact, according to the historian Josephus, it's likely that as many as two and a half million people would have gathered in Jerusalem for these feasts during the time of Christ. Incredible to think of that. Two and a half million people, and there had to be a great number of people there to hear Jesus cry out with this declaration that we see in the passage before us this morning. Now, look at what Jesus declares. As he stands up, he teaches on this great day of the feast, verses 37 and 38. Look at those verses again with me. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this is not the first time we've heard Jesus speak of this this living water. Back in John chapter 4, during you remember it? During his encounter with the woman at the well, in John 4 and verse 10, he says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then in verse 14, Jesus says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty 
again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now in verse 38 in John 7, Jesus shows us another dimension. It sounds a lot like what he says there in John 4, but it's different. It's another dimension of this this living water when he says that whoever believes in him, he's talking about the same thing, whoever has faith in him will experience this living water out of his heart. The one who believes in him out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So it's another dimension to this this aspect of living water as we saw it back in chapter 4 some time ago. We're going to get to what this means in a minute, but first there's something very interesting about what Jesus had said that that kind of ties into a common practice during the Feast of Booths that I want to show you. Earlier, Earlier, each morning of the feast, on the seven days, the official seven days of the feast, early in the morning, on each of those seven days of the feast, one of the chief priests would lead a procession and they would go to the pool of Shalom, to the, to the temple, and he would then take a, a golden pitcher and he would take up some water out of this pool and put it in this golden pitcher and take, the, take the, the water in this golden pitcher and take it back to the temple. And they would take this water and pour it over the altar in the temple. And it was intended to be a reminder to the people of the days that their ancestors had spent wandering in the barren wilderness when God provided water for them out of a rock. So, so daily, they would every morning go and get this pitcher, this golden pitcher of water, bring this back and pour this over the altar as this vivid reminder to them of God's provision of fresh water out of the most impossible of places, a rock. And so here's Jesus on the great day of the feast, the eighth day, this unofficial day that had turned into another day of the feast, this part, this day of celebration, the last day, and there's no water ceremony on this day. Not an official day of the feast, and this is when Jesus takes advantage of this opportunity. There are a great number of people there to hear him, and he takes advantage of this opportunity to declare, "If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts," I think he shouted it out, "If anyone thirsts." Let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. In effect, he's saying, listen, in effect, he's saying, I'm the rock. I'm the rock. You celebrate how your fathers were provided by God, water out of the most impossible places, this rock. I'm the rock that those in the wilderness drank from. In fact, Paul confirms that truth for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 when speaking of those who wandered in the wilderness saying this, all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock. And in my copy of God's word in my translation, the English Standard Version capitalizes the word rock because it's a name for Christ. The spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. All drank the same spiritual drink, says Paul. 
In 1 Corinthians 10, 4, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So Jesus says here in verse 37 in John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And Jesus is not talking about drinking water. (laughs) He's not talking about getting a, a fresh glass of water here. He's talking about spiritual things. He's saying, I am the rock from which men can drink and satisfy their soul's desires. I am the one. I am the rock from which man can come and drink and have the thirst of their souls quenched. And back in the wilderness, God was teaching the same truth that he's teaching us today. Jesus Jesus is the rock from which we get everlasting water. Water that is a, a, a flow, flows like streams from the heart of man. We're, we're going to touch on that. We're going to see that clearly. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, how's that? Don't think about the thirst of mankind. We, sometimes we can't help but, like right now, I can help but think of, when I think of thirst, I'm thinking of water, right? We think of water when we think of thirst. But Jesus uses this analogy, if anyone thirsts, and who doesn't? Think about it. Who doesn't thirst? How many of you have not had a thing to drink yet today? Probably none of us, right? Maybe maybe one of us. Eh? You better get something to drink quick, right? We probably, the vast majority of us, we've had something to drink today. Who, who does not have a thirst? Who's not going to drink anything today? That would be foolish, Right? Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, it's kind of a rhetorical thing. Of course, everyone thirsts. And think about this. What is the thirst of our souls? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about our physical thirst, which can be quenched temporarily with a glass of fresh water, right? He's talking about the thirst of our souls. And let's admit it. We all thirst for something. We all long for something. Sometimes... People define the thirst of our souls as a hunger for things, you know, or, or, or something that's maybe that's kind of intangible. But we'll say, you know, I just want, you know, I just want. Maybe we don't say these things, but but our actions prove that this is what we think. I want more power, you know. Our souls thirst and hunger for power. I want notoriety. I want to be significant. I want to be known. I want people to remember me. Or I want good looks. <laughs> That'll never happen for me, right? And I want good looks. I want, I want wealth. Another funny thing, right? I want wealth. I want to be well. I want, you know, we quantify our thirst in terms like, I just want, you know, sometimes we'll just say, well, I'm just going to be humble and I just want enough. I just want enough. You know, always with this mindset that what I have right now isn't enough, right? I just need more than what I have right now. And we get there and we go, well, just a little bit more and I just want enough, right? Or, or I just want the freedom to travel, right? And we work and save and think, you know, and there's nothing wrong with traveling, but, but if that's your focus in life, we got problems, right? Or, or I just want, and this happens to me this time of year, I just want to be able to afford to migrate from Michigan before the snow gets here every year, right? And you, after a while, I, I was walking over here yesterday, and um, I was being so careful because the, the, the snow is like ice right now. And I made it almost all the way, and I took one step to step on the pavement and hit the ice and went, wham! back on my back. I was like, oh. And I looked around to see if anybody saw me first. <clears throat> and 
And I got up and I thought, I didn't, I don't think I broke anything. I didn't hit my head or anything. So I'm, and I feel, you know, as far as that goes, I don't feel like I hurt anything. So, you know, we, we think, well, I just want to get away from the things that cause us trouble, right? Or we just, we just think our aspirations are, to, are for comfort and peace and, and plenty. Or enough, at least. Or liberty or freedom. We all have this hunger. We all have this thirst. What drives us is often how we define the thirst of our souls. We all thirst, don't we? We all have this soul thirst. But I want you to realize that deeper than any of those things we might try to use to define our thirst for happiness, which is really what it is, more than any of those things we try to use to define our thirst for happiness is a deep longing for God. Whether we know it, whether we'll admit it, whether we realize it or not, what this world longs for is to know God, to, to, to have a relationship with God. We don't know that this, many people never discover, never realize that the cry of their hearts is really to know God. And we think we can be satisfied in anything less than God. And Jesus says, all who thirst will be satisfied in me. And he means completely. All who thirst, who come to me as the answer for their thirst, all who come to me to have their thirst quenched will have their thirst quenched. They will be satisfied in me. But think about how. How does one find satisfaction in Christ? How does that work? Well, Jesus says in verse 38, look at verse 38 again. Right at the beginning of verse 38, he says, Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, all who seek to be satisfied in me, says Jesus, all who seek to have their souls satisfied in me, the longing of their souls satisfied in me and me alone, will be satisfied. And he says, here's how. Whoever believes in me. That's the truth of the gospel. You know that? Whoever seeks their soul, I mean that two ways, soul and only, you know, our soul satisfaction and our only satisfaction in Christ, those who seek their soul satisfaction in Christ will be satisfied. That's the gospel. Belief in Jesus Christ is the only place to find satisfaction for the soul. That's the truth of the gospel in its simplest form. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And know what Jesus says will be the result in the life of the one who believes in him. Verse 38 continues and says, Out of his heart will flow rivers, not a river, rivers, not a stream, not streams, not a lake, not a pond, will flow rivers of living water. Think of it. So powerful is this soul satisfaction found only in Christ that Jesus says, out of the heart or out of the life of the one who believes in him will flow rivers of living water. So not only does Jesus promise to be the fulfillment of the deepest longings of the heart, he also promises that from the life of the believer will be a great overflow. Think of that. A great overflow from the, 
overflow from the life of the one who puts his hope in Christ, who believes in Jesus Christ, who finds his soul, his only soul satisfaction in Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a great overflow from the life of that believer. But an overflow of what? What will that overflow look like? I think it will look like obedience. Obedience to the word of God. It will look like, and, and, that's, and that's kind of a really broad category, okay? Because when you pick up God's word and you start to read it, you find God intends for, for many things to be true of us as followers of Christ. And obedience is just a really simple way of saying that there are many things that are going to come from our lives when we take steps of obedience to God's word. And that will be the root and the source of our overflow as we go back to God's word and allow his spirit to work in us, making us more like Christ. There should be an overflow, an abundance of blessing from our lives because of our obedience. It'll look like a life lived for the good of others instead of living only for yourself. I think it'll look like a life lived for God's glory and not your own. You'll take first place. You'll take second or better yet, even third place, right, to, to others. The best, I think that best one-word description of what that looks like is, is that word obedience. God's word obeyed. Obedience. And that's only possible by the one who has the Spirit of God at work in him. You realize that? We can only truly be an overflowing blessing to others around us as we obey by the power of the Spirit at work within us. And we know this is what Jesus means when he talks about this because we know he's talking about the indwelling work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the believer because of what the Apostle John writes next. Look at verse 39. Now this, Jesus said, he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now we could call this John's commentary, the Apostle John's commentary on Jesus' words, um, this commentary inspired by God. Unlike all the other commentaries that came after it, <laughs> this commentary of John's on Jesus' words inspired by God, John had the advantage, of course, of writing these words many years after this occasion in the temple when Jesus was teaching. After many years of observation, John writes what we have here in his gospel. John had the privilege of knowing just what Jesus was speaking of, not, of course, at the time Jesus spoke it, but later he would learn because of the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. Remember Acts chapter 2, we read? But those who were believers in Jesus at the time these words were spoken had not had the, the Spirit, had not had the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit taking up residence in them yet. Not until we get to Acts chapter 2, which I read earlier. But when the Holy Spirit was given, when the Holy Spirit came on His believers, His children, His followers, after Jesus was glorified, after His resurrection and ascension into heaven, then those who believed in Jesus received the, the indwelling presence. They were given the Holy Spirit. And from then on, everyone who believes in Jesus is given the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Yes? Praise God that from then on, every believer in Jesus Christ gets the indwelling presence, is given this gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus left, but he sent something far better than his physical presence. Think of that. 
even if Jesus were here on earth today, where would you go to see him? You'd go wherever he was, probably. You'd try if you could afford it, right? You and I would go, if Jesus is on earth today, we'd try to go find him. But could you think how impossible that would be for us to spend time with him? Have you ever tried to go visit the president lately? And he is not God, right? How hard would it be for us as followers of Christ? Think of the multiplied millions of believers on earth trying to flock to spend time with Jesus. How impossible would that be? Impossible, (laughs) right? Just a, a small handful of people would enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ today if he were on earth today. How many of us can enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ today, even though he's not on earth today? 100% of believers have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. How good is that? I can't even put that the value of that into words, right? We can't even fathom. That's a, a wonderful blessing. The, the wisdom of God to, to call his son back to glory and send his spirit to live in his children, to live in his believers. That's you and me if you're a follower of Christ. And just remember this. It all begins with Jesus. It's not... It's not like, okay, Jesus came and did his thing and now he's gone. And now we have the Spirit. It's all about Jesus. It begins with Jesus and the Holy Spirit reflects back to Jesus as we honor and glorify him with our obedience. It just begins with Jesus. It all begins with faith in Christ. Charles Spurgeon wrote of this truth saying, The Spirit of God is engaged in a service in which the Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. He comes to men that they may come to Jesus. Hence, he comes to convince us of sin that he may reveal the great sacrifice of sin. That sacrifice being Jesus Christ. He comes to convince us of righteousness that we may see the righteousness of Christ. And of judgment that we may be prepared to meet him when he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. It all begins and centers and ends around Jesus Christ. Think about it. Think about that. Is that where you are today? Is your life about living for Christ, living to be more like Christ, living to give Him glory and honor and praise? Have you seen the righteousness of Christ? Have you seen the judgment too that's to come if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you put your faith in Christ, you'll never find true peace without Christ. Do you realize that? That longing in your soul that you're thinking is just a need for a little more? It's a longing for Christ. You need to have your soul satisfaction based only on Jesus Christ because in Him alone is the answer. Belief in Jesus Christ is the only place to find satisfaction for the soul. But there's a problem. You know, the problem is, It's that our stubborn self-determination often kind of collides with this need for peace. You know, we're kind of stubborn and self-determined to make things work on our own and provide for our own needs. And we have this hunger for peace and happiness, we might call it. It's really a longing to know God. And yet we try to solve the problem in our own strength. So instead of turning from sin, and we see this, People do this so often when they hear of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and they hear about how Jesus saves and how they need to repent of sin and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Instead of repenting of sin, they turn away from Christ. So instead we turn 
Instead of turning from sin and to Jesus Christ in faith, we turn to ourselves. We look at ourselves and think, well, there's got to be some way for me to make myself happy. I, I, I've got to be able to do it myself because I can do this, you know. And in effect, whether we realize it or not, we're trying to cover up our need for Christ by pursuing anything that offers a sliver of hope that we might have some kind of peace aside from faith in Jesus Christ. Turning from our sin and turning to Christ. We kind of grasp at straws, don't we, at times? And, and we see unbelievers do that often. It breaks our hearts. If you're a follower of Christ and you witness to an unbeliever and you see them turn from Christ, it's a heartbreaking thing to think you're just totally missing just what you need. All the while, the real hope is in Jesus Christ and faith in Him alone. You want to talk about blindness to the truth? John points next to what happened after Jesus spoke these words, verses 40 through 43. People still are divided about who He is. Look at verses 40 through 43. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. So some said that Jesus must be. They said, He's got to be the prophet, the one Moses predicted would come who would be like him. Others said he was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. But others argued, oh, no, no, he can't be the Messiah because the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. And we laugh, thinking, he was from Bethlehem, you know. Uh, They didn't realize that. So the people here are divided over who Jesus is, and, and people are still divided today, yes? Note, too, how Jesus' enemies are still helpless to lay hands on him. Verses 44 through 46, some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. That's kind of humorous, actually. You think about it, they were sent to go get Jesus, and they come back and said, No one ever spoke like this guy. In other words, we were so caught up in what he was saying, we forgot what we were there for. Now look at verses 47 through 49 and note the contemptuous, think of the contemptuous and superior attitude of these Pharisees. Think about of whom they speak. And they get this superior attitude, verses 47 through 49. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? In other words, how could you be so foolish? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, you know, look at us. I mean, we're not believing in him. Verse 49, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. In other words, they're they're stupid. They should know know better. And and that's kind of an interesting thing that they would say that because next comes Nicodemus. Now here comes Nicodemus. Remember, he's one of their own. He speaks up. Remember seeing him back in John 3 when Jesus had met with him and Nicodemus had heard very clearly from Jesus the words of life then? And look at what Nicodemus says, 50 and 51. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law 
judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? In other words, be careful. Be careful, says Nicodemus. You're taking the risk of violating the law you claim to uphold. Interesting, verse 49, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Well, evidently, they don't know the law either because they're trying to kill an innocent man. They'll hear nothing of the reasoning of Nicodemus. Verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Their scorn at him. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And that was kind of an ignorant thing to say too. In other words, first of all, they said, are you one of them now? Have you joined up with him now? Have you taken his side? And as for their argument that no prophet arises from Galilee, had they been thinking about it, if they'd been thinking a little more clearly rather than being swept away in their anger, they, they knew better than to say something like that. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, they would know better than to say something like that because Jonah and Nahum, for two, and likely many others, had come from Galilee. And so they're speaking rashly in their anger, very pompous and insecure in their role. And so we see, once again, it's a very very clear reminder that there will always be those who deny who Christ is. There will be those who persist in their ignorance, who continue in their blindness to the truth, The fact remains, though, that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, as Jesus himself said back in verse 38, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There will be those who reject Jesus Christ and face the judgment of God on that day. But for those who believe, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I think we need to hear that today. And I think we need to understand. And I think we need to be encouraged that when Jesus saves you and he gives you his spirit, he changes you from the inside out. He makes you different from the one you were before. He changes you in such a way that he causes you to be others focused. He causes you to be Christ-centered Bible-saturated, the the person who longs to know God more by getting deep into the Word and reading it for himself and, and longing to be more like Christ by taking steps of obedience. And he causes us to be more and more like Christ as he draws us into obedience to him. So much so that a truly Spirit-filled believer, the one who lives in obedience to God's Word, won't be a reservoir for the Spirit. We won't be like great big holding tanks for the Spirit. We'll be more like conduits. And better than that, we'll be rivers, as Jesus said. Rivers of of living water flowing from us, which I, I take to be blessings on others as we obey Christ. You see, we need to hear that we need to be encouraged by that, but, but that those who have the Holy Spirit, that those who drink deeply of Christ, that those who put their faith in him, to them, he says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
And out of our obedience, I take that to mean we will become great blessings to others. The greatest blessing that we could ever be to others would be to share the gospel with them that they might see Christ, that they might know Christ, that they might repent of sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. The most powerful example, the most powerful blessing we can, we can be to others is when we take steps to obey the clear teaching of God's word and we seek to, to help those who need help and encourage those who need encouragement and bless those who need to be blessed and provide for the needs of those who need to be provided. The, the most basic, the most important need of all, of course, is the gospel. But we have not only minister the gospel, we must become powerful blessing to others with all that God has blessed us with. We will become like out of our heart, out of our life will flow rivers of living water. We'll be a, a massive conduit for the, for the blessings of the Holy Spirit as He works in and through us. You see, a true Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, Spirit-changed follower of Christ, they're not going to keep blessings to themselves. We won't, it won't be possible for us to keep the blessings of God to ourselves if we're truly spirit-led and spirit-filled and spirit-changed. Because the blessings of the Spirit to us as followers of Christ will become an overflowing blessing to all of those who come in contact with our lives and even beyond those we know as we influence others for Christ who, out, who go out and in turn do the same. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful. I am so thankful that we can come before you now and praise you and glorify you and thank you and humble ourselves before you because you have seen fit to give us the indwelling presence of yourself through your Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that it truly is the longing of our hearts to have the longings of our hearts met in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that through the power of the Spirit, your Spirit working in us, that we might become powerful blessings to others by our obedience to your word as you work in us and give us strength to obey and give us wisdom to obey and give us words to say as we testify of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. And we want the glory to be yours for the work that the Holy Spirit will work in us as we yield to you. Lord, help us to yield. Create in us a heart, a desire, a longing to know you more and to obey you more and be more and more like your Son every day. That we might see Christ clearly working in our hearts and lives and that others might see that too. That others might know him and trust in him and also have rivers of living water flowing from, from their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.